Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio, this is Raider Nation Radio 920. Unnecessary Roughness. roughness. I think this, that somewhere within the first five to ten plays of the game, the other team's quarterback must go down. And he must go down hard. It's Unnecessary Roughness here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Big hole. First down, end zone. Touchdown. Touchdown, Raiders. Would you believe it? This is Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio 920. Here's your boy, Q. And here we are. The calendar, if you look at it right now, says the first of the month, July 1st, 2022. Happy 4th of July weekend. Raider Nation Radio 920 will all be off on Monday. We normally don't like to have too many days off, but it's the 4th of July, so really there's not too many options that we have, right? Got to be off on the 4th of July, so uh, make sure everyone knows, kind of put that in your notes, that we will all be off, and uh, hopefully you're off and being able to enjoy some family time as well and a little downtime this weekend, including on Monday, 4th of of July weekend, and just kind of reflect back and realize what the day is all about as well as having a good time with the family, having a good time watching fireworks, wherever the case may be, or whatever you do to celebrate the 4th of July. Make sure you reflect back on what the day really means. So I just want to go ahead and put that programming note, but it is 4th of July weekend. It is the 1st of uh, July, and that means that training camp is right around the corner. It is incredible that we're already more than halfway through the 2022 calendar year. I mean, it's just time flies. And when I say that, I, I usually just say that kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, everything goes by really fast. No, really, everything goes by really fast. We're already in July, so we're going to be staring at training camp quick, fast, and in a hurry. And then we'll be talking about preseason games. We'll be talking about regular season games. We'll just be going all in, full throttle, and we'll have plenty to talk about here on Red Nation Radio 920. But we can't go to training camp already without, you know, having to do a few more weeks. But we, uh, we'll have plenty to get to, Raider Nation, and excited to be with you here on this Friday on Unnecessary Roughness, Raider Nation Radio 920. Demon Cotton back in the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. Your boy Q, I'm at the home studio, and we have a lot of good guests to get to, a lot of good conversations to have, and uh, we'll start off at 2.30 with Paul Gutierrez from ESPN.com. He put out a piece called Better, Worse, or the Same. How the Las Vegas Raiders offense has changed this offseason. And he emphasized offense because he has another piece coming out about the defense. So that'll be next week. So you got to stretch these things out. You don't want to give you too much at one time. But I was going through that piece that he put out on ESPN.com, and I thought it was pretty interesting. There's some little nuggets that he threw in there about the quarterback position, a couple little nuggets he threw in there about the offensive line, a couple little nuggets he threw in there about the uh, wide receiver position. So as much as you kind of look at it and say, and it's easy for me to even look at it and say, oh, if you're talking about the offense, it's better. All in all, it's just better than what it was last year. But again, that's just looking at it from the grand scheme of things. But uh, Paul had some really good nuggets that he threw into that, that piece, better, worse, or the same, how the Las Vegas Raider offense change this offseason and so uh we'll talk to paul at 2 30 all things uh that that article and all things silver and black then at three o'clock cassie soto from the las vegas review journal she'll join the show and we haven't talked to her since she put out that uh that tweet when uh indomitian sue was on uh, espn and on nfl live and she put out the tweet and people ran with it including mina kimes i mean so many people ran with it some people stole the tweet and acted like it was their own but uh you know we always gave her a lot of props for that so uh, i know cassie's about to go on vacation i think she's going to go on a cruise so she's preparing for that cruise we'll catch her one last time before she goes on her vacation and that's what a lot of people are doing right now so if you see and hear people off like jt's off right now and clay baker's off right now and this is really the last time 
the last few weeks that you can go ahead and get a little bit of a vacation and get a little bit of a recharge of the batteries because, man, once training camp opens up, it's over. It is absolutely over. Full throttle, dip your head in a tank of gasoline, light that thing on fire with a match, and go. That's exactly what it's going to be. So you got to get your vacation. you got to get your rest in while you can. So Cassie Soto will join us at 3 o'clock. Then at 4 o'clock, Jeff Benson from Circus Sports, he'll join the show. We'll talk to him about what's going on in the NBA and uh, talk to him about the betting lines as far as where Kevin Durant might end up. And we don't really talk a whole lot of NBA until it's actual games going on. But, Damon, with everything going on in the NBA, how could you not talk about the NBA? I mean, even even e- uh, like uh, NFL insiders – are like, you know what, the hell with the NFL right now. Let's talk about the NBA. The, I think for some people the NBA offseason is better than the actual regular season Yeah, because it is just so intriguing. Who doesn't want to know where Kevin Durant wants to go? He wants to trade him and Kyrie as a package. Wendy was on um, first take today, and he's like, hey, the only team that this would make sense if they would both go there together is the Lakers. And I'm sure Laker fans were, throwing back, were doing backflips if they heard that on ESPN today. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting. And I'll tell you right now, uh, I thought that once Kyrie Irving, once he decided to opt in to his contract, I thought it was done. I thought, okay, he's going to run it back one more year. Him and Kevin Durant, they're going to see what they can do. Maybe Ben Simmons will get up off the bench and get onto the court and actually go out there and play. Maybe they could have a little something. And if Kyrie could show that he's available for the majority of the season, maybe they'll give him a long-term deal. And then, lo and behold, did all of a sudden we find out about a trade and or that trade demands from Kevin Durant going to the owner asking for a trade. So who knows where and when they're going to make this move and when Kevin Durant's going to be gone and where he's going to end up. Who knows if he's going to be with Kyrie, if there's going to be a package deal, if they're going to go their separate ways. Uh, personally, I'd like to see Kevin Durant go to Miami. I think Kevin Durant in Miami with the Heat would be awesome. You see him with Jimmy Buckets, that would be cool. But, I, I, again, I'm not a guy that can – I'm not an agent. So I don't know all the ins and outs as far as the money goes, and I know a lot of contracts and a lot of rules by the CBA. There's certain guys that can't actually technically play uh, and be on the same roster due to their uh, contract extensions on their rookie deals. So uh, there's a lot to go into it. That's not for me. That's for the smart people to figure out. But, man, you want to talk about a storyline that's intriguing. Where in the hell is KD? Where in the hell is Kyrie going to play? And then some of this money, this stupid money that the NBA rolls out. I mean, look, DeMond, your guy, John Moran in Memphis, he just got a five-year hundred. $193 million deal with the opportunity to be well over $200 million. Uh, you had to be pretty happy when you saw that deal. Of course, man. I mean, ESPN 920 out there, the radio station for Memphis, their flagship for the Grizzlies, they were like, hey, it's John Morant Day. And it's like, yeah, you guys are right. Just celebrate them all day. You know, the new king of Memphis, <laughs> John Morant. Well, it's going to be interesting to see what they do with that team. I like, I like the, the nucleus that they have. I like the, the youth that they have on that team. But uh, they've got some holes to fill, you know. And I thought maybe Bradley Beal was the guy that they'd take a look at. He returned to Washington on a big-time deal. So $50 million. I, Yeah, exactly. So I don't know. I don't know exactly what they're going to do. They need to upgrade somewhere. They can't just run it back and say, oh, it's going to be better this year. They've got to improve the roster. And, and, you know, it's not necessarily a major tweak. But it's something that they've got to do. So we'll talk to Jeff Benson. We'll just kind of get the, the, the gambling lines when it comes to where KD and Kyrie will end up. Maybe talk about, uh, you know, how the NBA championship for next year, how the lines have changed since uh, some of the free agents have been signed, if they've changed since some of the free agents have been signed. I remember once the Warriors won the championship, they said they were the favorites to win it again. And I'm interested to see if now that free agency, now that these deals have been agreed upon, if uh, maybe those lines have changed a little bit. But we'll talk to Jeff Benson from Circus Sports. We'll talk to him about that coming up at 4 o'clock. Then at 4.30, really cool conversation. Bart Galea, uh, his, he's the head coach of the Boys Albion Soccer Las Vegas Club. And you're like, Q, you're talking soccer? What are you talking about? So this is the deal. 
This is a soccer club that is here in the Las Vegas area that has been winning just about everywhere. I mean, these guys went to Boise. They went to Dallas. They're trying to go to Orlando. They already won all these championships so they can keep going. But, you know, traveling ball is obviously very expensive. And, you know, I know soccer is not the, the biggest talking point. It's not my biggest talking point. I have to be educated on it as, as well. So the deal is it's pretty funny. I called them earlier today to talk to them and just get some information about what they were doing. And automatically, because my brain just clicks like this, I was in my studio at the house, and when I called them, I literally just called them to get some information and, you know, so, hey, I could talk about it. Well, I started recording the conversation because that's what I do when I'm at the, at the house and in the home studio. And then a couple minutes into it, I was like, damn, this is a really good interview. So I just kept it going. <laughs> so you'll hear that conversation coming up at 430. But it was a really good conversation. Uh, he's a really cool guy. Been around the Las Vegas area for a long time. Uh, you know, he's got some good stories to tell. And just like when I talk to high school football coaches, and we do that all the time here on Radio Nation Radio 920, uh, it was just fun to talk to him and, and, and hear his, you know, his background, hear what he, you know, he feels as far as, you know, uh, coaching up the youth in our communities. And, and I just think that that's important. I don't care if it's soccer. I don't care if it's badminton, softball, whatever the case may be. If someone's out there and they're coaching up our kids, I think that that's important. So uh, I, when I talked to Bart, uh, we had a really good conversation. So you'll hear that coming up at 430. At what point did he realize this was an actual full-on interview for a show? I don't think he probably did until, oh. like, the very end. <laughs> I only got a couple more questions for you. He's like, why does he keep saying that? <laughs> well, no, I mean, it is funny because I'm just like I was in the mode and, and I was just hearing him. And, but he was telling the story so well of what they were doing. I didn't want to be like, oh, can you repeat that? Oh, let's start over. You know what I mean? Like I didn't, I didn't want to do that. So I was like, well, hell, let's just, you know, let's keep it going. So I just started asking some more questions. And, it is, again, it doesn't sound like your typical interview that I would do. But it's very informative, and it's letting you know what they got going on. And uh, I just think that it's a, it's a really cool um, – and it's, it's not only cool, but it's also – it's something that's like history in, in, in the area. You know, like they're making history every time they win again and they continue on. So I, that's, that's also very cool. So I'm, uh, I definitely uh, think you'll enjoy that conversation. You don't have to be a soccer fan. Let's put it like that. You don't have to be a soccer fan to enjoy this conversation because uh, Bart really delivers it when it comes to what they're doing and why they're doing it and uh, where they have an opportunity to go. Again, I mean, you travel from Vegas to Boise to Dallas. I mean, that just is a name a few places that they've gone and won. I mean, they won the whole thing, and he was telling me, and you'll hear it coming up at 430, uh, I think in Boise maybe it was, they had, to, they had to win six matches to move on. Six. That's a hell of a tournament, <laughs> right? I mean – that's that's pretty massive, but they got it done. They found a way to get it done, and you know they're, they're obviously the, the, all the players on the team. They're building these lifelong relationships, so I think that that is uh, is something to celebrate. So uh, you'll hear the conversation that I had with uh, Bart Galea uh, at four thirty this afternoon here on Radio Nation Radio nine twenty Unnecessary Roughness. So those are the guests that we have up coming up on the show. Now let's go ahead and jump into the opening drive. The opening drive of Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio 920 is brought to you by Southern Nevada Chevy Dealers, home of the Chevy Silverado, the strongest, most advanced Silverado ever. Now, I saw this, and I'm always on Twitter looking for different information or seeing what information's out there, and really been on Twitter a lot the last couple days just because 
uh, everything that's going on with the NBA, and I just want to keep up with all the news. I mean, it's just kind of reckless not to keep up with the news, right? As far as I'm concerned, in, in, in our business, we got to keep up with everything. So uh, as I was doing that, I saw this article, and I, I don't know why. I mean, I guess because it's July and it's the slow time of year. There's a lot of articles out there. There's a lot of rankings out there. There's a lot of just whatever. So there's this piece that I saw, and it was on ESPN, but it was from Football Outsiders, and it was basically talking about the most underrated player on all 32 teams. So I, before I even looked at it, this is what I like to do when I see the headline like that. I like to go to my head and say, okay, who do I think is the most underrated player? So I start thinking about guys like, you know, potentially Rocky Sin could be a, a, you know, underrated player. Uh, Divine Diablo could be an underrated player. You know, there's multiple guys that I look at and say, this guy could be underrated. Well, this was not the, the case for this uh, Football Outsiders piece. And it really kind of, it kind of disappointed me when I went and saw who they picked as the most underrated player for the, Lake, or for the Lakers, for the Raiders, and the reason why is because they didn't even have the right player. And that's, that, I mean, that, they didn't even have a guy that was on the squad. And so I tried to correct them, but it's been up for hours and it's still incorrect. So it kind of takes away from their credibility. That's, uh, that's the first thing. But, again, I thought it was a good subject and it, 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 got the, it got the wheels turning a little bit when I was reading it. So the person that they selected as the most underrated player on the Raiders was, and I almost messed it up because I almost said the right name, was uh, Fabian Moreau, <laughs> as DeMond's in the studio laughing. Yeah, Fabian Moreau was the one that they said was the, the most underrated player, and they listed him as tight end. Well, as we all know, Raider Nation, <clears throat> excuse me, Fabian Moreau is not a Raider. Fabian Moreau is a cornerback. Foster Moreau, on the other hand, is a tight end that plays for the Raiders. So there, there's that. So that kind of took away that credibility right there. But what they said is when Darren Waller was injured in the heat of the 2021 playoff chase, backup tight end Moreau stepped up with seven catches for 65 yards against the Browns and four catches for 67 yards against the Broncos in a pair of narrow victories for the Raiders. His play down the stretch helped him finish 22nd in the NFL and tight end uh, well above big-name tight ends like Zach Ertz, uh, Mike Jacecki, and even Waller. Moreau actually ranked third in the NFL in DVOA and 14th in DYAR in limited action as a rookie in 2019. He got lost in the shuffle, yada, yada, yada. So it goes on and goes on. So I understand what they're saying about Foster Moreau and how he could be an underrated player, but I don't really think, and Jamal, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't really think that Foster's really underrated when you look at the Raiders roster. Here's one of those things where you're too close to it. Because, you think he is underrated? No, I'm, no yes, I do. Because okay. you're too close to it because he's an integral part of this Raiders offense. At least he was like this past season. I don't think he is, though. I, don't th- I think he's but just for another underrated, piece. Where if you ask someone, like we always like to say, the national media, yeah. hey, just pick, hey, I'm a good football fan. Pick that guy who says he's a football fan. Who's mm-hmm. the Raiders' backup tight end? He's probably, he doesn't know it off the top of his head. I think a lot of people know. See, that's what I, I think. Maybe you're right. Maybe I'm too close to the product. I think that I think a lot of people know Foster Burrow. I mean, you know, I, I, but that's just me. Maybe you're right. I don't think that he's that underrated, and I don't think that he's that integral of a part of the offense either. You know, I think he had to step up when Darren Waller was out, and I don't think that he really stepped up like most people thought he was going to step up. But when they use their metrics, that's another thing, like Adam Hill said earlier about rankings and things like that. Hey, what, what are they, what's their criteria? What's they, what are they basing it off of? Right. And for football outsiders, it's DVOA, something that I completely do not understand. Right. But if he was third in their metrics for all tight ends, you know, with the action that he had when he did play, who are we to say that he's not underrated? Because, hey, you're talking about that backup tight end for their DVOA metric was third ranked. 
Well, I'll look at it from the eye test, and I'll look at it from who's on the roster. And I get the metrics just like pro football focus. Uh, everyone doesn't agree with the analytics on that. I just – I don't know. I, I don't I don't look at, at Foster Moreau as that much of an underrated player. But, you know, again, like I said, I have no problem with being wrong. Maybe I am wrong. Uh, but we'd love to hear from you. 702-365-9200. Sam and Ash text line is 69187, keyword R&R. If you got to look at the Raiders roster right now, and I know Raider Nation knows the roster like the back of their hand. If you got to look at it right now, who would you consider as the most underrated player? I had a, a, a young man hit me up on Twitter and said he thought it was Jayon Brown. Now, see, that's, that's a person I can get down with and say, yeah, you know what? That is probably an underrated signing right there because he's a guy that I believe is going to do some really good things as far as trying to cover the tight ends, something that the Raiders have struggled with doing. I think that's how I look at it. When I look at an underrated player, I look at someone that like nobody's talking about but it actually is going to be able to contribute in this upcoming season. I don't go, I don't, but I don't have the metrics like you mentioned. I don't have the DVOA, DYAR, DKNY. I don't have any of that stuff, <laughs> right? <laughs> so. No, but, like, again, I mentioned, like, Foster Moreau, like, underrated. I, I don't know exactly, like, their metrics. But come on, when we talk about all the, all the weapons for this offense, he's not being mentioned that much. He hasn't done that much, though. You know what I mean? Like, he hasn't done that much to be mentioned. Even when he had a chance to shine with Darren Waller out, I don't think he really stepped up. Hey, you just rattled off some good stats there. They said, hey, in those two it wins. It was two games. <laughs> two games. <laughs> he didn't do it for five or six. He did it for two. And it's not like it was big numbers, seven catches for 65 yards. That's a good amount of catches, but the yards ain't that great. Four catches. He had four catches for 67 and seven for 65. So that's cool. That's not bad. But it's, I, I just, again, I don't think it's that big a deal. I didn't think that that was that much to be considered an underrated player. Hell, I've heard a conversation of people think he might not even be around this upcoming year. Ooh. Now, I know he's playing, and I'm not saying anyone in, in the building. I'm saying just people in general, you know, and, and, and guys like us, you know, the media guys that are talking about who could be on the squad. I mean, didn't we just talk a couple weeks ago about Foster Moreau being a guy that maybe the Packers would like to trade for? I mean, that was, you know, that was out there as well. So... I, I don't know. I, I just I, I thought that that was that was one of those. Let me find a name and let me let me just use it. And then they got the name wrong, and then it was Fabian Moreau. So that also lets you know kind of how it is and 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 what they think. I mean, Fabian Moreau was a defensive back out of UCLA. So is Jayon Brown? I know that that we you had that tweeter, but is Jayon Brown your pick as well? Um, let me think. I think Jayon Brown's a really good one, but that wasn't my original one because, you know, obviously that was tweeted at me and I saw it and it made me – it popped into my head. And so that's why I thought that, that was – that qualified because I was like, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't even thinking about Jayon Brown. Um, I would have to say – ooh, that's a good one. I think – how about we go with <laughs> – um, Maybe the maybe the rookie, and that's hard to say because we kind of been talking about him a lot. But maybe Dylan Parham, maybe because the offensive line we know is a major concern. Ooh, that's ooh, that's uh, that's a tough one though because we haven't seen him play. Right. So, but if he gets the starting job, I mean, ooh, it's kind of anticipation with him. So maybe that doesn't qualify. Yeah. Jayon Brown's a really good one, but I just don't, I don't know. I don't know how much he's going to be out there. I think that is a good pick, though. I think that's a good selection. If you're if you're trying to pick somebody, I think Jayon Brown's a good one. Um, but it, I just can't take credit for it because it wasn't mine. So I have to go in a different direction. 
Um, you know, Deron Harmon might be an underrated player as well, an underrated pickup that the Raiders have got, only because no one's talking really about Deron Harmon, and we always question, like, what's going to happen with the, the two-high safety look. We know Trayvon Mary's going to be that there. I think that's who I'll roll with. I think I'm going to roll with Deron Harmon. Because you know there's always a question, how's Jonathan Abram, where are they going to put Jonathan Abram? I feel like Patrick Graham's going to line him up somewhere near the line of scrimmage, let him play in the box where he's comfortable, let him be that enforcer that he was very comfortable with playing in that role last season. So I can see that. I, I, I can see Jerron Harmon being a guy that a lot of po- folks think maybe he's just a, a backup or he's, a, he's depth. I think that he's going to be a big-time contributor so, uh, and has the potential to be a big-time contributor. Let's put it out there like that. So I'll go. That's who I'll go with. That's, that's my selection. Jerron Harmon, I'm sticking to that one. <laughs> All right, I want to go with one of the receivers that are probably going to be lining up on the outside that we're just oh. not talking about. Okay. So maybe like Mac Hollins. You know, just this Ooh. is me trying to think outside the box. Okay, no, that's fine. That's a good one. And, and the reason why I think that that's a good one is because not only can he line up outside and be a wide receiver, as all the Raider Nation saw when he was playing for Miami and he beat the hell out of Damon Arnett and uh, <laughs> set up that set up that game-winning field goal for the Dolphins, but – he also does special teams as well, so he's going to contribute in multiple fashions. You know what I mean? He'll, he'll be on the field more times than he won't because he will be contributing as a special teamer as well. So I think that that, that's, that qualifies. I think Matt Collins is a good one. That'll work. Or even maybe DeMar- Demarcus Robinson as well. Like just one of, one of those guys that, you know, somebody's going to have to line up on the outside as well, you know, besides Darren Waller in certain packages. Right. Raider Mike hit us up on the Salmon Ash text line at 69187, keyword R&R. With the love that JMC has for the tight ends, underrated for Foster could be valid. I just don't think that – I mean, it could be, and he does. And we, But, see, that's the other thing. We already know that he has the love for the tight ends, so we've talked about a lot of the two tight end set, right? So I, I feel like – and maybe, again, maybe because it's, it's, it's Raider Nation and we're here talking about it every day, maybe that's why we're talking about Foster Moreau more than someone on the outside is. I mean, you could be 100% right with that, but I just – I don't think that – I, don't, I feel like Foster Moreau's not really underrated. I think you kind of know what you get in Foster Moreau. I think we all know that he's a good player when he has good players around him. But I think when he was featured last season, he was just all right. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't really great. You know, I know some people said, oh, this is Foster's chance to show, step up and show what he could do and everything. And it was, but it just didn't work out. You know, he, he had a couple games where he was okay, but it was nothing special. You know, there was times where he made a few mistakes, a few costly mistakes for the Raiders last season. So I, I don't know. I don't know if he's if he's really underrated, but Raider Mike brings up a good point. Of course, Damon, you brought up a good point as well. Uh, Vegas Pete said, most underrated, Malcolm Kuntz and Diablo. That's also on the Sam and Ash text line at 69187, keyword R&R. I feel like we talk about Devon Diablo a lot. Yeah, exactly. For me, he's like how you're talking about Foster Moreau where – hey, he can't be underrated because at least here on this station, we expect him to have a big role with the team. Well, I think all of Raider Nation expects him to have a big role with the team, right? I don't, I don't think, regardless if you're listening to us, if you're listening to this, that, and the other, I mean, it doesn't matter. I think anyone who's a Raider fan expects Devon Diablo to step up uh, and run alongside Denzel Perriman and be a big-time contributor uh, this year, especially after what you saw from him last year. But I can really get aboard with Malcolm Koontz. I talked about Malcolm Koontz the other day as being the guy that the young guy that I'm most excited about because I think that he has an opportunity to really step up, maybe even not this year, but next year. Uh, but I, I can see him being underrated because right now, you know, nobody's really talking about him. You want to talk about you have to be close to the product to be talking about Malcolm Koontz. There is nobody 
outside of Raider Nation to talk about Malcolm Koontz right now. There's just not. And even, even Raider Nation is struggling to talk about Malcolm Koontz at times. Hey, did you see this one from Robin Hollister? I uh, did not. Colton Miller, hands down, most underrated. Never talked about on national shows and does not get the credit for being a, type, a top left tackle. Um, yeah, that's, I, uh, I, get, I don't I get know what about he's that saying, one. but that's not underrated. Yeah, no, that's I not don't. enough media. Look, coverage. if you're an offensive lineman and you're not getting talked about, that's probably a good thing. But no, I mean, I think I think everyone, the majority of everyone, knows who Colton Miller is, right? You know, and I think that there was a lot of question when the Raiders drafted him who he was going to be. I know I thought he was going to end up being a guard at best. Which, hey, you know what? Maybe that's that's good for Alex Leatherwood because I keep thinking that he's going to be a guard too. And look, I was wrong. Alex uh, Alex Leatherwood could end up being a good right tackle, and Colton Miller ends up being a really good left tackle and ends up with a contract extension. So uh, I think that people realize who Colton Miller is and the value he brings to the table. I think everyone on the outside is looking at the Raiders' offensive line and saying, "Yeah, you have Colton Miller, but who else do you have?" So yeah, I think. I think that everyone's pretty comfortable with giving Colton Miller some props. And, you know, again, offensive linemen nationally probably aren't going to get talked about that much, you know, just in general, unless you're just the, the dude of all dudes, right? Unless you're just the, the, the big-time left tackle that just got paid all the money, then they'll talk about you. But for the most part, uh, you don't really hear the offensive linemen getting a whole lot of burn anyway, maybe if they're about to become Hall of Famers. But – that's just the nature of the beast. And, again, when you're not talking about offensive linemen, that's a pretty good thing. So I think, yeah, I'm going to roll. Like I said, I'm going to roll with Deron Harmon as being the most underrated player on the Raiders. Who, do you, who did you officially pick? I'm going to go Mac Hollins. Okay, yes, right. You picked Mac Hollins. Uh, the article picked uh, Fabian Moreau, a.k.a. Foster Moreau. <laughs> so uh, we got some good answers, though. Uh, I like Vegas Pete's Malcolm Kuntz. Uh, he said Diablo as well. I think that that's a – you know, I think that people are talking about Devon Diablo in uh, expectation of him being a big-time contributor this year. So let us know, Raider Nation, 69187, keyword R&R. You can also hit us up on the Raider Nation listener line at 702-365-9200. But don't call right now because we do have a guest coming up next. Matter of fact, it's Paul Gutierrez from ESPN.com. We'll ask him who he thinks the most underrated player is on the silver or black and then get into his piece, Best Worse or the same? How the Las Vegas Raiders offense has changed this offseason. This is Raider Nation Radio 920. That was the opening drive of Unnecessary Roughness here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Brought to you by Southern Nevada Chevy Dealers, home of the Chevy Silverado, the strongest, most advanced Silverado ever. Everybody keeps sleeping on the Las Vegas Raiders, except me. I'll be fine with that. <laughs> That's your team. You think they're winning the Super Bowl. I'm not thinking they're winning the Super Bowl. (laughs) I'm saying they're winning this division. Everybody, you keep sleeping on the silver and black. I'll be fine with that. Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio 920. Here's your boy, Q. That was Rich Eisen right there. You can actually hear the Rich Eisen show right before JT the Brick, 10 to noon. Here on Raider Nation Radio 920. He's one guy that's not sleeping on the Raiders. He's been talking about it on his show quite a bit. He's actually going to be a guest on this show at some point. Been trying to coordinate our times. But Rich Eisen will join us to talk about what he sees in the Raiders, what has him so high on the silver and black. And you heard him right there say they're winning the division, the AFC West. That would be something right there, right? Obviously, there's a long time before the season gets started. So uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll find out as we find out. But uh, welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness here on Raider Nation Radio 920. We've been talking about guys that are underrated. And there was a piece that was put out, and they were saying that Foster Moreau was the one that they felt like was was uh, underrated. I don't think he's the underrated guy, the most underrated guy on the Raiders team, but I have been asking you. Uh, Mailman Raider hit us up on the Salmon Ash text line at 69187, keyword R&R. 
How about A.J. Cole? Low-key, the best punter in the league. But punters never get talked about. So underrated. Hashtag punters are people, too. Well, I'll tell you, when you're, when you're a, a fan of the silver and black, you talk about the punters, right? Years on top of years on top of years, the Raiders have had great punters. And then when they don't, it's a major issue, right? That's how you really know about a position. When all of a sudden, it's all bad. Right? Remember when the Raiders went out and drafted Johnny Townsend? Remember him? Remember how awful he was? And we all, as fans, kind of looked and said, oh, yeah, A.J. Cole's going to beat that guy out. All I think we had to see was A.J. Cole punted a couple times and realized, oh, yeah, he's way better than Johnny Townsend. When you don't have something, you know, then that's when you realize, ooh, hey, that's an area that needs to be addressed. So we'll get back to the most underrated players on the Raiders squad. Right now we have on the phone lines from ESPN.com our guy Paul Gutierrez. And, Paul, thank you so much for your time. Before we get into your piece, better, worse, or the same, what, who do you think? Who do you think is the most underrated player on the Raiders team right now? Yeah, see, that's the thing is when you look at the roster up and down, and that's kind of when I when I went into this article with uh, better, worse, or the same is that everything comes with a caveat. So when you look at rated, underrated, I mean, they basically hit a a refresh, a restart on this thing. So everybody to me is really starting at square zero. So I couldn't even really tell you who's overrated, underrated. Uh, not rated at all because it's just simply too soon to tell until they actually get in the training camp and start facing uh, other competition. I know that's kind of uh, you know taking the easy road out, but that's kind of where I am right now looking at the roster. No, and that's fair. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, the, the article that I was uh, referencing earlier, they came up with Foster Moreau, and I, I didn't really think he was underrated. I think kind of everyone knows what he brings to the table. Uh, a couple other people have mentioned Jayon Brown. Someone I mentioned Jerron Harmon. I thought he was a guy that you can consider underrated. But I think that you're right. Until we actually see what's going on in training camp, it's going to be hard to tell. Yeah, and I guess if you look up and down the roster, it, to me, it, it's not so much rated, underrated, overrated, whatever. It, it's more of who might actually have a different type of role. With, with the new regime, so to speak, and you know, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with my guy Willie Willie Ramirez uh, from from Associated Press. He like seems to think that Kenyon Drake could actually be a guy that could step up, and maybe that if you're gonna look mm. at an underrated kind of a of a of a player, maybe that's somebody that can be looked at because of his versatility. He's got to come back from that broken ankle, obviously, but maybe he's a guy that could that you don't think of, right? But could actually sur- surprise and do more things than you think right here, right now on July 1st. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I absolutely do. I, I like that. I think that's a good suggestion. Again, we're talking with Paul Gutierrez from ESPN.com. He put out better, worse, or the same, how the Las Vegas Raiders offense has changed this offseason. And let's skip right to the running backs because you brought up Kenyon Drake. I actually believe that he's a, a guy that there's a possibility maybe they move him in the offseason, you know, maybe they because they have a plethora of running backs right now. Um, and he is coming back from that ankle injury. How do you think that that running, room, running back room shakes out? They have seven right now. Yeah, they got seven guys, and, and they only really have one. Well, they got two, including the fullback, that actually know the offense. So, again, everything to me, writing this article came with a caveat, with an asterisk, with everything else you could imagine. Yeah. But especially in that, that running back room, because you've got a guy who's been a pro bowler and who's averaged more than 1,000 yards rushing in his first three years of his career. And, oh, yeah, by the way, the new regime did not pick up his fifth-year option uh, in Josh Jacobs. And then they go and draft a guy, Zamir White. Uh, they bring in some veterans in Amir Abdullah from Carolina. And, you know, Brandon Bolden obviously knows the offense, but he's not just there to teach these guys the offense. He's there to, to win a job and to win uh, his fair share of, of snaps and carries and things like that. 
Um, you know, then Britton Brown, they, they get in the seventh round. I, I don't see him really making the team, maybe practice squad or something like that. But, mm-hmm. but you're right. You know, use the big word, plethora. And it reminds me of uh, Three Amigos, right? I mean, what is a plethora? So, <laughs> from El Guapo. El Guapo wanted to know what a plethora was. So, uh, yeah, they do. They've got a plethora at, uh, at running back. And, and, again, until we see how Josh McDaniel's offense actually fits these guys, or do these guys have to fit his offense? Everything comes with a caveat, in my opinion. Yeah, it really does. And in your piece that you put out on ESPN.com, and you were talking about the quarterback position, uh, if it got better or not, and you said better, but with a caveat. And so, yeah. well, you know, and the one nugget that you put in there that I didn't even really realize, and I thought that that was interesting, was that the last couple times that Carr has changed play callers, his QBR has gone down. And it's not just a couple points. It's quite a bit. So, do you, do you feel like maybe that's the reason why the, uh, the, the Raiders went out and made the move for Jarrett Stidham to help kind of speed up the learning curve? Absolutely, absolutely. And, and beyond that, like, again, it goes back to the running back room. He knows the offense. Now, is he a threat to take the job from Derek Carr? Absolutely not. Was right. Marcus Mariota a threat? Potentially, because we saw what he could do when he was out there in a different offense anyways. And that's why I said it got better because this whole hire was, was kind of made for that same reason. I remember Mark Davis telling me the same thing when he brought John Gruden in. He brought John Gruden in to make Derek Carr better. So where this actually needs to happen is in the red zone, obviously. Mm-hmm. But, but you're right. I, I was kind of surprised when I went back. I just thought, you know, well, what, what, what has Derek Carr done um, in his first year in a new offense? And, you know, just looking at the numbers right here, he had a 56.1 QBR in 16 under Musgrave, and he dropped all the way to 50.5 in his first year under Todd Downey. Mm. Then it went from a 46.5 in 2018 under Gruden. So it's dropped every time. But then again, last year, he had, a, uh, you know, two years ago, he had a, a career-high 64.3 QBR. So, you know, he's a veteran. Uh, he should be able to roll with the punches. He's got more talent around him than he's ever had before. I keep saying no excuses. But, again, with that offensive line, um, with everything else that's going on. This is a new system. It's a reset. I know I asked Mark Davis back in January. You know, He's overseeing teardowns and rebuilds. He didn't see it that way. He saw this as taking the next step. Well, we're going to have to wait and see. Right, no doubt about it. Again, talking to Paul Gutierrez here on Radio Nation Radio 920, Unnecessary Roughness. Let's talk about that offensive line. You, you noted Carr was sacked 40 times a season ago, second most in his career. Obviously, the offensive line has to be a lot better. They brought in a few other guys, but in your piece, it's pretty much, hey, right now it's still the same. Even though there's some other guys, it's still the same as what it was. How do they improve it? How quickly will we might be able to identify that in training camp that the offensive line has improved? Well, the two keys to me are Denzel Good, because people forget that two years ago, he was basically, you had Gruden and Derek Carr saying that he was the MVP of the offense because of his versatility on the offensive line. And then he tears an ACL in the opener last year, and the whole thing just kind of goes to pot. Alex Leatherwood, you know, doesn't pan out there at right tackle. Five games in, he's moved inside to protect him. Uh, you know, it, it's one of those things where if Good comes back and he's healthy and he solidifies right guard. Then that allows Alex Leatherwood to move back out to right tackle and get his feet under him and figure things out and get going there. If Alex Leatherwood can't make it happen, okay, well then that's another missed draft pick at the top of the board for the for the previous regime, so to speak. Um, that right side of the line is huge because you know obviously in today's NFL it's all about protecting the quarterback's um, blind spot, blind side. Uh, not not so much anymore. Not in this division when you've got two quality edge rushers on either side. You got to be able to protect both. And uh, depending upon where Denzel Good is in the lineup, where, where Alex Leatherwood is, 
you kind of go from there. So the way I looked at the offensive line was it's basically the same. I, I, I can't say that it's worse, uh, but, but I can't say that it's better either because they did bring some guys in. They drafted two guys in, in, uh, in Parham and Munford. I'd like to see if Munford can win that, that left guard spot or maybe even center, but I saw him working more at left guard during the, the OTAs and minicamp that we were able to watch from uh, three football fields away. <laughs> no shade. But, uh, you know, it, it's, it, to me, the offensive line is key, and then when you go down even further, it's uh, Denzel Good and Alex Leatherwood are the keys there. You know, and talking about Alex Leatherwood, and, you know, we, we hear that he's been training. We hear he's been working. My concern, and this is something I've been talking about on the radio, is everything is good in practice. Everything is good when it's going half speed. But when the bullets are live, when it's game action, I feel like everyone goes back to what their body knows and remembers, that muscle memory. That's my concern with Leatherwood. Even if he looks the part maybe in training camp, when the bullets are live and you got Joey Bosa across from you, you got Chris Jones, you got someone like that, that's when you revert back to what you know. What are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. And, and that's the thing, that if Denzel Good is in there and he's playing as well as he did two years ago and he's right next to you, that's going to help him as well, right? Um, you do. You revert to what you know. And, you know, a lot of people want to make the comparison that, that, well, look at what Colt Miller did. He suffered through a, a, a tough rookie year and now he's got a new contract and he's a, a stalwart on the line. Okay, but, but it's a different position, and it's a different mindset, and it's a different mentality there, too, and he wasn't switched from his position. you know. So that, that was a huge blow to the ego, the confidence. And, and you know whether you admit it or not, it happened. Um, and, and he is a pro, and, and he did do some things. The thing that really interests me about Alex Leatherwood is just the physical attributes that he brings. He's a mauler. He's a road grader. And in, you've seen in what New England has done with Josh McDaniels running the offense, they like the big monster kind of right tackles and you know physically the only guy that really kind of fits that physical mold would be you know a big tall right tackle would be brandon parker who oh by the way also got a new contract this offseason so right. another another thing to kind of see how this all works out throughout the whole offseason mcdaniels and ziggler too have both said that for that offensive line battle these guys have to know at least two positions if not three to make themselves more versatile because he doesn't want guys just practicing at one position and only practicing next to one guy. they got to be able to adapt and, and, and figure it out. And we saw that last year, especially when you got two guys go down. You're starting guards, you know, uh, Richie Incognito. Uh, we hardly knew you. You know, he goes down in, in a training camp scrimmage with the Rams, and we never see him again, and then Denzel Good goes down in the opener. So these guys have to be able to play multiple positions. they got to be very versatile. Hey, Paul, when it comes to the receivers, obviously they're going to get better with the addition of Devontae Adams, one of the best receivers in the game. But who have you seen from three football fields away that's been lining <laughs> up on the opposite side of them, whether it be uh, Mac Hollins or Demarcus Robinson, and what can they add to the team? Yeah, to me, the, the most intriguing is, is Demarcus Robinson, if, if for no other reason than he knows the division. Uh, coming from Kansas City, he, he knows what's up with the AFC West, and, and he's fast. And, you know, I don't think he's going to catch 50 balls, but if you at least bring a threat of something else, the threat of, of taking the top off of a, of a defense, then that opens so many other things up, uh, underneath. And, and you know, I'm really kind of diving into my Cliff Branch stuff right here, and that's what he brought, and he's going into the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. And, and it makes me look at the receivers a little more. You, you know what you're getting in, in Hunter Renfro. Uh, you know what you're going to get from Darren Waller. You know what you're going to get from Devontae Adams. It's, it's who's going to be that other pass catcher. And, you know, say so say pass catcher, not receiver, because it's got to be somebody else that can at least be a threat. Uh, we saw what Matt Collins can do when he cut that, that miraculous ball uh, for the Dolphins a few years ago when Arden mm-hmm. Key tried to rip off uh, the quarterback's head and he still made the completion and beat the, beat the Raiders. But, yeah, to me, Demarcus Robinson is the most intriguing 
other guy that we don't talk about all the time because of his speed and because of his knowledge of the division. Yeah, I agree 100%, and that's going to be interesting to see who, you know, who fills that void. We know about Devontae. We know about Hunter. You know, who's going to be that other guy is, is something that we've been talking about quite a bit here on Raider Nation Radio 920. And, Paul, I know this isn't in your piece, and I'm, I'm kind of putting you on the spot, but when you talk about better, worse, or the same, how about the front office and the coaching staff? What are the thoughts? You know what? I'm not going to say better, worse, or the same. I'm just going to say welcome to 2022. Because, you know, as much as Raider, old school Raider fans hate the fact that this is the Patriot way and, and they basically join the dark side or bringing in the Patriots, well, it's also kind of moved forward. It, it's kind of, mm-hmm. you know, with, with John Gruden coming, it was kind of back to the future kind of a thing and it didn't work out. You bring in Mike Mayock from the TV booth who had been a virtual GM for 32 teams then he became a real GM for one. Well, you look at the graphics, that didn't really work out. So better, worse, or the same, I'll just stay updated and welcome okay. to the 21st century. I like that, and I think that that's fair. I think that's absolutely fair. That's a great way to, to word that. A couple more questions for you. How about the alternate logo that's on sale right now? I've seen a lot of Raider Nation not too happy about it, and some super fired up about it. What are your thoughts? You've been covering the team forever. You know, that that's one thing that I do know is um, what I've been told, anyway, by Mark Davis is, you know, whenever they talk about alternate uniforms and, and the, the, uh, the color rush uniforms and things like that was that, no, the colors are always going to be silver and black, and, and the logo is iconic, and you just stick with it. So I, it's strange. It really is strange to, to think of any other logos or any other color schemes or anything like that, uh, and yet you've got to be able to adapt with the times. So there's, there's, there's a certain saying that this team has, and you know it well, as there's 31 teams, and then there's the Raiders. Well, right. there's a reason that there's that saying. Yes, absolutely. No doubt about it. Paul, before we let you go, I want to switch to baseball real quick. Uh, You know, the conversation about the A's potentially being in here in Vegas has been going on forever. Uh, They uh, apparently they have a lifeline that they still have in in Oakland after the vote that happened yesterday. But were you blown away at all when you saw the report about Major League Baseball not going to charge them a relocation fee if they came to Vegas? Yeah, that's strange. And again, it just kind of goes back to the whole, you know, I go back to my godfather kind of references here. You know, they just want to tip their beak a little, right? I mean, everybody wants to make a little <laughs> money doing something. And, and if there's not going to be a reload fee, well, then what's the point? I mean, right. the other teams you would imagine would want a little something to dip their beak. So if baseball was going to, gonna, you know, void that or not make it happen, then to me that meant, okay, well, this isn't as serious as they really think. Yeah, they've given them permission to go there and look. You know, obviously the A's have figured out some different potential spots. But I've always said this from day one, too, Q, is if, if somebody in Vegas really wanted the A's to be there, they would have been there yesterday. It's all about that public money. It's all about that free money, you know, covering the Raiders move. Uh, you know, they give them uh, $750 million of free money and hotel uh, taxes to come. It happened. And if somebody wanted the A's there, it would have happened already. I'm not saying it's not going to happen, and right. it just looks a little better here in Oakland. I mean, you know. Well, you know, I've talked about it before. I covered the A's for, for a long time. I covered that 2006 A's team that went to the ALCS. Covered them, you know, up until like 2013-15. So um, it's an organization that deserves much better than it's gotten. Uh, and the fan base especially deserves better than it's gotten of late. Agreed 100%. Better, worse, or the same? How the Las Vegas Raiders offense has changed this offseason? Paul Gutierrez is the man who put it together. And as you see, we didn't talk defense because, Paul, defense is on the way. When is defense dropping? Uh, we got two weeks. I got my Cliff Branch uh, piece coming next week where I've spoken to quarterback, coach, guru, mentor, competition. Uh, I'll tease a little bit here. I got Jim Plunkett. I got Tom Flores. Uh, I got Fred Blitnikoff, I got Lester Hayes, Mike Haynes, and Ronnie Lott to all give their Ooh. thoughts on what made uh, Cliff Branch so unique 
and what made him uh, so dangerous other than just his flat-out speed. And that's, that's next week. And okay. then that, yeah, that comes next week. And then, uh, actually, you know what? That comes on the 13th, I believe. And then okay. the week after that is defense. And then, oh. and then we're in training camp, which is shocking. <laughs> right, exactly. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about that. I can't wait to see that Cliff Branch piece and talk about it and obviously go to Canton, Ohio, and, and be there for the festivities. It's going to be a hell of an event, a long overdue event. But uh, it's going to be great to see Cliff and his fam- well, see Cliff's family enjoy what Cliff yeah. should have received. So, Paul, thank you so much, my man. It's great to catch up with you again. Enjoy your 4th of July weekend, and we'll uh, talk soon. Same to you, man. Take care, guys. Thanks for having me. All right, there he goes. Paul Gutierrez right there, ESPN.com. How fantastic is that? Cliff Branch, and you saw, you heard the names that he, he talked to to put some, a piece together. And, and if he t- teases it like that, you don't think I'm paying attention on the 13th when that drops? Psh, man, don't be shocked when Paul's on the air talking about it on the 13th as well. <laughs> he just doesn't know. He just booked another interview. <laughs> That piece is going to be good. I cannot wait. Can't wait to get to Canton, Ohio uh, the first week in August to to be there for the festivities at the Hall of Fame. Cliff Branch's family is going to be there to enjoy it. And, of course, Raider Nation will be there, uh, and all the Raider, the Raider alumni will be there. Mark Davis, I know that they're going to do it really, really big. And, of course, on the JT The Brick Show, make sure you tune in for Summer of Cliff as he celebrates the life and times of Cliff Branch all summer long leading up to Canton. 2.48 at a time. We'll come back, close out hour number one. This is Raider Nation Radio. 920. Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Unnecessary Roughness. Here on Raider Nation Radio 920. I'm going to have to kick you, you know what, today. Here's your boy Q. Many thanks to Paul Gutierrez from ESPN.com. Join us in the last segment. Talk about his piece, Better, Worse, or the Same, How the Las Vegas Raiders Offense Has Changed This Offseason. It also kind of segued into the conversation that we were having about underrated Raiders. The article that I was looking at that that uh, was talking about it said that Foster Moreau was an underrated Raider. I said Deron Harmon. Paul mentioned he, he really doesn't know until you get out there and they start doing something in training camp since everything's new, which is very valid. Everything is new. Mailman Raider said A.J. Cole. Vegas Pete said Malcolm Kuntz and Diablo. I didn't think that Diablo was really underrated, but multiple people have hit me up about Diablo, so Vegas Pete might have been onto something. Our guy Aaron said, hey, Q, maybe the dude that wrote the article was taking Josh McDaniel's system into account. The two tight end sets, like when they had Grock and Hernandez, I'm going to go with Divine Diablo. I really think he's going to be a really good dude. So there you go, another, another not argument, but another, uh, you know, stating the case for Foster Moreau, uh, kind of going back to what you said, DeMond, about, you know, him being under the radar and nobody really knowing too much about him except for Raider Nation. Obviously, we know who Foster Moreau is. Uh, we'll see. I would like to see him succeed. I liked him when they grabbed him out of LSU. I mean, really, I did. He's very athletic, more athletic than he he showed at LSU because they just didn't throw the ball around the yard like that. It was really just run the rock, run the rock, run the rock. As soon as he leaves, as soon as he gets into the NFL, all of a sudden Joe Burrow's throwing the ball around the the yard like there's no tomorrow. And they're putting up stupid numbers and winning a national championship. So uh, I think he has an opportunity. I just just didn't think that he was really underrated. I think everyone kind of knows who Foster Moreau is, but that's okay. I'm okay with that. Uh, got one more text I want to get to, and then we got Cassie Soto coming up at the top of the hour. Sir Whiskey Ray always got to chime in and give us something good for the weekend, right? Q&D, happy Friday. I've literally had to change my red polo shirt twice due to all these NBA transactions going on here. Is it me or is the NBA on fire here after 24 hours of free agency? Let's not forget about tomorrow's big UFC pay-per-view event as uh, 
My boy Adesanya will get it done. Looking forward to a great sports weekend. Cheers, Sir Whiskey Ray. And uh, Tamon, let me ask you about Adesanya. And I know there's a big UFC. Um, there's like a showcase going on right now, or it was going on a little earlier uh, where there's a ton of fans there, and obviously a lot of media was there. I know Max Crosby was there. Uh, what's what, what are your thoughts on Adesanya? He's one of the best strikers in MMA. Where it's it's almost unfair where like how good his striking is. Not that much of a takedown game, but the guy he's gonna fight, he's a um guy who's moved down to middleweight. He used to be a heavyweight. So Cannoneer, uh, I hate the nickname Killer Gorilla, but he <laughs> this brother, yeah, he's got some power. Why you hate the nickname, man? Come on, Q. <laughs> Me and Brian were talking about this when I had him on the show. <laughs> I bet. I bet. Killer Gorilla. But I think that it's gonna be a it's gonna be a good matchup for Adesanya as long as he stays out of the way of that power and just uses his reach. Because Cannoneer has been on the shorter side, you know, about five eleven, going up against a six two, six three guy. You know, I think if he just you know keeps his reach, he's gonna win this handily. Let me ask you this, and we'll close out the hour with this. Uh, earlier today on my, my podcast with Lee Sterling, Locked on Bets, our lock of the day today, matter of fact, it was a level three lock, uh, was UFC action, you know, 276. Jalen, the Tarantula Turner, going up against Brad, Quake Rydell. The Tarantula is 12-5, and five, Quake Rydell's 10-2, and two, and the betonline.net line was Tarantula Turner, minus 140 versus Quake Rydell. What are your thoughts? Give me the tarantula because I like those numbers, though. I mean, yeah. sometimes sometimes people, they don't want to go with the favorite, but sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. if you want to get a good parlay, maybe, you know, just like, hey, take those favorites, put down that five, maybe you can win 20. It's not a bad thing to do, especially with some of these UFC cards. Well, who do you think's the better fighter between the tarantula and the quake? I just, gotta, by, I just go by nicknames. Okay, here. sure, we go by quake. <laughs> um, better fighter, a little bit more on the rise, but uh, tarantula, I think that he's going to be able to pull this out. All right, and I like basically I, just go just go off the nickname. Would you rather be the tarantula or the quake? Well, that's why I like the tarantula because I I don't know if you know the backstory. You probably do that he was actually arachnophobia. He he had arachnophobia. He was arachnophobiac. I guess that's the word. And to get over his fear of spiders, he went out and bought like a hundred and something tarantulas and had them as pets. And that's how he got over it. And that's why his name is the tarantula. Did you know that backstory? I or, did not know that backstory. Yeah, you like how your boy just educated you, huh? Yeah, that that's crazy right there. That that's uh, you know not a lot of things. You know, who that that's, that's something I would never do. That was a least early nugget. That wasn't mine. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I was I was, yo, I was gonna let you run with it. Hey man, I can't. You know I can't steal stuff like that. But uh, I de- I thought that that was a cool little nugget. So anyway, uh, cool deal with that little fight. Fight action, UFC 276 going on this weekend. That is a big card. Jalen, the Tarantula Turner, going up against Brad Quake Rydell. And that's just one of the many fights that they have this weekend. 258 is the time. When we come back, we'll be talking to Cassie Soto from the Las Vegas Review Journal. She'll talk all things silver and black. This is Radio Nation Radio 920.